Private as it relates to food, as it relates to people, as it relates to our teens. Um, but well, how do you even compare our God, right? He truly is an awesome God. And I trust that's why you're here today, to worship the Lord. Yesterday, we had an opportunity, uh, some of us, to go to Christian Service Mission. And they're going to run some pictures here. Christian Service Mission is downtown in uh, Birmingham. Tracy Hips oversees that ministry. And every year, um, you know, there's just a lot of work to do as it relates to packing boxes, especially for Thanksgiving time, Christmas time. And so yesterday there were 20 of us that went. I hope you get to be a part of that in the future. Uh, keep your ears open. Uh, we only could take 20 this time. Um, sometimes they have a need for 40 or so. So, you know, just keep your ears open. It's a great opportunity to serve. As you can see, this is not brain work. I mean, uh, it's really pretty simple. And uh, just packing boxes. And they're going to distribute... Uh, Oh, hopefully 8,000 boxes this year. And uh, they did, I think, six, five to 6,000 last year, wanting to increase that this year up to 8,000 uh, for Thanksgiving. And so we were able to go down there, and we had a good time. As you can see, I mean, look at Andy Johnson smiling here, dear. And B and I are at the very end there. And um, at the very end, we had to um, tape up the boxes, and then they told us initially that the boxes would weigh about, what, 25 pounds or so, and they weighed at least about 50, I'd say. I'm kidding. They probably weighed about 15 pounds, but we uh, packed 600 boxes yesterday, and so we were able to get quite a bit done, and I appreciate those that went, and um, initially we had this event set up for the college ministry, and the three or four students that were able to go uh, with us had to, had to back out at the last minute for legitimate reasons, things that came up in their lives. But we're thankful um, that they were able to go. As you just saw that one picture, that, that was the big group there. There were three different churches uh, yesterday that were a part of what we did uh, yesterday. And, and so the time was from 9 o'clock until about 11 o'clock. And so it's, uh, they, try to, they said, honor college football. That's what they said. We want to give you opportunity to go back and tailgate and root for your team. And so from 9 in the morning to 11 in the morning, that's what we did. And then, then we were able to come back. As you could see, the line was moving steady. steady. And uh, until it got to a couple of people, I won't mention Robbie or Cindy's name, but it, it just got to a point where it was like, <laughs> I remember Brian said, who is holding the line up? And you look down and it's like, well, there they are. But um, we had a great time of fellowship. That's one of the things that comes out of working together is just good fellowship. So just really appreciate everyone who was able to go uh, yesterday down to Christian Service Mission. That is a big place. They have uh, three or four different warehouses, separate warehouses there. Uh, they have uh, one room that's 72 degrees, uh, one room that's 32 degrees, and one that's zero and so um, we, we didn't work in the uh, 72, the 32, or the 0. We worked in like the 85 to 90. So but we had a great time, and I just appreciate it. Like I said, all you guys uh, supporting that. And you keep your ears open. As I communicate with Tracy, there will be other opportunities for each of you that want to, uh, to 
participate in this ministry. It's, it's what I call an ongoing relationship with what the Lord's put in front of us. So I wanted to have the children come forward this morning. Um, I wanted to have a little bit of time with you guys. So if y'all could just come right here and sit in front. I just want to talk to you for a minute. I think it's been a little while since I've done this with the Lord's Supper. But if you guys, you know, can come up here. If you feel like a child and you want to come up and sit down, that's fine too. Um, Y'all have a seat. Don't they look good? Aren't this a good-looking group of kids? Man. What can we get y'all to do? Y'all like to work? No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you heard it, Brian? He said yes. All right. Well, it's good to see y'all this morning. And um, I wanted to just talk to you for a minute. First of all, I wanted to say good morning to you. And I hope you're having a good morning. Do y'all eat breakfast? Y'all eat breakfast on Sunday mornings? Yeah, I don't do that, but that's okay. I'm glad you get to do that. Um, this morning, I wanted to talk to you guys about what we're going to do later on as adults. And um, you see this table that's right here, okay? And on this table, we have loaves of bread. And then inside those containers, we have cups. And the cups have juice in them. And does anybody know uh, why we have bread on this table and juice? Yes, ma'am. Okay, the bread, we remember the body of the Lord, right? And is he, what about the juice? Yes. Okay, so we remember the blood of the Lord Jesus, right? That's not literally the blood of Jesus, but we remember the blood of the Lord Jesus that was spilled for us. Do you know without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there's no remission of sins. So we're thankful, aren't we, that Jesus Christ was willing to shed his own blood in order that we might have eternal life. Isn't that amazing? You imagine, you, know, you don't think about eternal life so much at your age, but as you get older, you start thinking about that kind of thing, right? Because there's just a lot of things that go on in life that are difficult, and we get sick as we get older. And one day, listen, this is pretty cool. One day, the Lord Jesus is going to come for all those who belong to him, and that's going to be a fantastic day. The Bible says that the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord we're going to go up and be with the Lord forever. But in order to be with the Lord forever, you have to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And so I wanted to encourage you guys this morning to think about that question. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Okay? Isn't that wonderful? Y'all hear that? They're saying, a lot of them are saying yes. We praise the Lord for that. So when we take this bread this morning, we will remember the body of our Lord. We'll take... Just a little piece of it off, and, and we'll have a time uh, to remember the body of our Lord and the suffering that he went through. Do you know any, about any of the suffering that our Lord went through? Do you know anything that happened to the Lord before he went on the cross? Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry? Okay. What? He did get beat up, didn't he? You know, there's a, there's a word in the Bible that says he got flogged. There was a whip. And um, he got beat, right? He was beaten with a rod. They put a crown of thorns in his head. They put spikes in his nails in his, his hands and his feet. I mean, and all that stuff. Think about this. He didn't do anything wrong. He was guilty of nothing. Imagine that. And he died for you and he died for me. You know why? Because he loves us. He loves every single one of you guys here. And you know what? 
those of us that belong to the Lord Jesus, we love you too. And we want you to come to know him. So we remember his body that was, that was um, broken for us. And we remember the blood that was shed for us, Jesus' blood. When I went to Israel in 1994, I got one of these cups. It's a pretty cool cup. And um, it just is a reminder. I put it on my desk, and it's a reminder to me of the shed blood of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. So the next time you talk to your parents about this, you'll have a little bit better understanding. So when we take the, the bread, we remember the body of the Lord. When we take the juice, we remember um, the blood of the Lord. And one of the things that's really, really important for you to think about, and we won't talk about it in detail this morning, but when we come to a time like this to worship the Lord, because it is worship, we're worshiping the Lord through this, we have to, we have to examine ourselves. That's kind of a big word, but that means we have to look into ourselves and we have to examine ourselves to see if there's sin. How many of you sin? Do you sin? Any of you sin? I sin. I sin every day. I know I do. And you know, it is really wonderful to think that Jesus Christ paid for all of my sins. And that I'm not going to pay for my sin because I trust in him. But it's also important that we remember that we're still going to struggle with sin. Even as a Christian, you're going to do things that are wrong. You might even tell a lie. You might do things that you're not supposed to do. I have a pretty good idea that that's going to happen. Because it happened in my life. But you know what I can do every single day? I can say, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Okay? And that's really, really important to think about. Well, I want to tell you something before we pray. I want to tell you, I love all of you. Uh, I've got grandchildren in here, but I love all of you. And I want all of you to know the Lord, and I want all of you to live for the Lord. And all these believers out in this audience, you know what they want? They want you to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and they want you to live for Him. Because you know what? As we get older, we come to realize, because I'm looking out here, and there's some that are older. And you know what? You come to realize that there's just not a whole lot in this world to live for. But you know what? We can live for the Lord Jesus. All right? Thank you all for paying attention. You are a very good audience. All right? Let's pray, and then I'll let you go back to your seats. Father, I want to thank you so much this morning for these children. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the willingness of the Lord Jesus to come to this earth and to take on the sins of the whole world is what the Bible tells us. And um, I'm thankful that you died for my sins. I'm thankful you died for the sins of everyone in this room, including these wonderful children. And I pray, Father, that if any of these children do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that even today they could come to recognize through your Spirit's conviction that they are indeed sinners, but that you took care of that problem, Lord, on the cross at Calvary and dying for our sins. I pray that these students could come to understand that and um, come to understand the forgiveness that's available in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that all of us in this room that know you will be good witnesses to these children and to all others that we come in contact with that do not have a relationship with you through the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we just pray that this morning, in all that we do and all that we say, we would honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, guys. I can go and be seated. Well, that's what makes our God so awesome. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our service, as we've seen, too. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be obeyed. Because why? It says, thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Not anything we do, but through Jesus Christ, he gives us a victory. So why don't we sing about that right now and all that he's done for us. Let's all stand. Let's sing victory in Jesus.
to to wait maybe for heaven 
all we know is that through it all, through this cursed earth that we live in, the only one way we make it <laughs> is the fact that he holds us. He holds us in his hands, and he will not allow us to go, go anywhere. He keeps us in his hands. And so that's what this song is all about. He will hold me fast.
song touches our heart. And the songs we've been singing reflect the word, reflect the reality of what Christ is to us, reflect the holy God that he tells us that he is, and reflect the hope that we have in the future of him coming back, preserving us until then. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Father, we, worthy, we acknowledge that you are worthy of praise from all the heavens, the angels, the stars, the sun, the moon, and the earth. We praise you for your mar marvelous and intricate creation in which your attributes are revealed. We praise you for your power and wisdom in holding all of creation together and for the joy it gives us living in it. Thank you. You, God, are an awesome God. Lord, your love for us brought you from glory to suffer and die and rise again, saving us with the power to cleanse and to heal our broken hearts and lives. Our victory is in you alone, and you are worthy of our praise. Lord, we look forward to your return to gather us to be with you in heaven where we'll no longer suffer desperate times, tears, pain, death, where we'll be able to visit with the heroes of the faith and be reunited with those we've loved that you've taken from this life already. Your love paid a great price to redeem us. And even when our faith wavers during difficulties or when temptations pull us to the point of unfaithfulness, you never let us go. The promise of your faithfulness and the spirit of promise have sealed us to you, and neither we nor the world nor Satan can ever change that. You hold us fast to yourself for all eternity, and we thank you. We thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. You ever forgotten your wife's birthday <clears throat> and lived to talk about it? Or have you forgotten your anniversary? Has that ever happened to you? Or Yeah, and lived to tell about it. If you're in here and you forgot your anniversary, that's a miracle in and of itself. The title of the message this morning is The Forgotten Men. <laughs> the word forget is used a lot in our culture. Um, children use it when they go to school and the teacher asks for their homework assignment. Oh, I forgot it. Um, it happens in the home where a father or mother give a task to a child and they come back 30 minutes to an hour later and the child says, oh, I forgot to do that. Um, did you know that there was a war between World War II and Vietnam? Did you know that? Do they even teach that in schools today? It's called, actually, the Forgotten War. It's the Korean War and... It took place between 1950 and 
1953. And there's a lot of attention that is given in, to World War II and to Vietnam for different reasons. Um, but oftentimes, you won't hear much about the Korean War. It's just simply forgotten. I think in a church like ours that is elder-led with a pastor, it's easy to forget the deacons. But we can't do that. You do not know these men that I'm about to reference, but they made a tremendous impact in my life. They were deacons. Tim Crosby, he was a math teacher. He was an excellent math teacher. He was an analyzer. That man analyzed everything under the sun. He was a very discerning man. He was the man that asked me my first question when I went up to interview in New York. I'll never forget it because he said, that. what is your understanding of church discipline as it relates to Matthew 18? And he didn't have a smile on his face when he asked the question. But he was a faithful servant of the Lord. And he is a faithful servant of the Lord. Do you know his wife and him, after they taught in the New York school system to the point of retirement, said, Lord, we'll go wherever and whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. And they went on the mission field for a period of time. Just a regular guy. I never saw Tim without a smile on his face. Bill Wyckoff. He lived right around the corner from us in New York. He was a gruffy kind of looking guy, big old beard, um, big giant hands. He, he worked for the cable company, and he climbed poles. You think, well, that can't be that bad. Well, climb poles when it's 20 below and see how you feel about it. Uh, green New York was not always warm, we'll just say it that way. Uh, Bill Wyckoff was a man, when I, th- I was thinking about these men and how God used these men in my life. He was a man of integrity. He was just a truth teller. Bill's going to tell you the truth. And one of the things you find about, about northern folks is they're okay just telling you the truth. Um, you might not always like what they're saying, but they're willing to say it. Like one day, one of the ladies we were receiving in line looked at Pastor Stam and said, Phil, I don't like your beard. But I was waiting on the response to that. You'd had to know Phil. And he looked at her and he said, I don't like your hairdo. (laughs) Probably couldn't get away with that here. Bill Wyckoff was a man of integrity. And I thank the Lord for him. He's still living today. And as far as I know, all these men are. John Whitbeck, he was proper guy. When I think about John, he was proper. I mean, everything had its place. Um, He was so neat. You know people like that? I mean, I'm talking about like every single note that he wrote, really neat. Um, But the thing I remember most about John Whitbeck, he was a man of prayer. Every single time something was going on, let's pray about it, let's pray about it, let's pray about it. Didn't matter what it was. Let's pray about it, Thad. 
Dad, can you pray for me? Hey, let's pray right now. We live close to each other too, and a lot of times we'd ride home together after meetings, and he'd say, let's just pray. Let's pray for our family. It's just a man of prayer. You know people like that? Pray, pray, pray. Mike Curtin. He looked like Fred Flintstone. Right, Teresa? He did. I'm telling you, he looked like Fred Flintstone. He's not here. He might be. If he's watching, hey, Mike. He was a mailman. Um, Mike had a mail route, and where we lived, everything was in the country, right? And so, um, but he had the coolest tool. When it snows in the north, snow just piles up. It's hard to imagine six feet, eight feet of snow, but it does happen. But he had this cool little tool. Teresa loved that little tool. And he would, he would take that tool, stick it out the window, use it to open the box, to put the mail in the box, and to close the box. It was a really awesome little gadget he had. Mike Curtin was a man of great discernment. He was one of those guys that sat in a meeting and he just listened a lot. You know people like that? But when he said something, you were like, whoa, I need to listen. Because whatever is about to come out of his mouth, it's going to be good. It's going to be worth hearing. Mike Curtin. His wife was the secretary at Berean. Don Conover, one of the greatest friends I've ever had in the world and have today. He built lift trucks. He worked for Raymond Corporation. In fact, he worked there for over 45 years, just recently retired. Um, there are so many things I could say about Don. He was my right-hand guy because I can't fix a thing. And so he'd come to the house every once in a while, and he wouldn't ask me what needed to be done. He'd say, Teresa, do you need anything fixed? <laughs> Don Conover, when I think about Don, I think about faithfulness. Faithful guy. I mean, just a faithful guy. Quiet, unassuming, but faithful. You know people like that? Just living the Christian life. And it doesn't look like he's ever growing weary. You know people like that? And it's like, wow. Frank Canarella called him the Italian stallion. He looked, he was Italian. He looked like an Italian. Loved spaghetti, loved pizza. And, the, and in Green, New York, the town was about 5,000 people. The village itself, about 2,500 people. And of the 18 restaurants in the town... Probably 15 of them were Italian restaurants. And he learned how to eat calzones. You ever had a calzone? Frank Cantarella was also our drummer for the praise team. And he was in his probably early 50s when we were there. Always smiling. A man spiritually of great encouragement. He was an encourager. Anytime you walk by a Frank Cantarella, he's got a smile on his face. And he would get in your space. Whether you wanted him to be in your space or not, he's in it. And he'd say, good morning. How are you? 
You doing all right today? Ready to worship the Lord? I mean, right in your face. I don't know if a southerner would react too well to that kind of thing. But Frank was an awesome man. Those men, deacons, every one of them. Servants, every one of them. Men that I haven't forgotten. You know, we have men like that in this church. They're deacons. I won't embarrass them this morning and say all these different things about them. But let me tell you something. The deacons that we have here at Grace, you remember that word we used earlier, awesome? They're awesome. They allow us as elders to stay in the word, to discuss issues that are spiritual issues. It has been amazing the transformation that's happened with the deacons over the last 20 years. To see how the Lord has has just used those men and continued to use those men in the lives of people here at Grace. You probably don't know half of what they do. They're always around here. Can I tell you that? They're always around here. They're always doing something. You don't think those cobwebs just disappear from underneath the awning out front, do you? They do things that I tell my staff all the time. These guys are incredible. They just serve and they don't complain. They're amazing men. I love them. One of the things that the Lord just gave me last week on Sunday was a gift. He gave me a gift through one of the deacons. He came up to me after church and he said, You know, Dad, I wish the people could see us in our meetings when the deacons are present. And he went on to say why. He said, You know, We have time together in the Word. We're praying for the body of Christ. And I'm like, that's right. That's what we do. But that's unbeknownst to you because you don't attend the meetings on Thursdays. You're not there. But I can tell you this. When I started pastoring the church back in 2001, I had many visions for this church many things that I wanted to say one of them was having elders preach you know what we do we have elders preach aren't they fantastic excellent Bible teachers we're so blessed to have them I always believed that it was healthy for a church to have spiritual men who were elders to stand behind the pulpit and the pastor sit down and the pastor learn. Call me crazy. I am crazy. I believe that the apostles that were charged by the Lord Jesus wasn't just one. There were several. And I enjoy when those men stand up here I'm not always here when they're standing up here. But I enjoy listening to those men preach. One of the other visions I had was to have a 
a deacon board that was functioning and healthy and ministering to people beyond a Sunday morning. That's happening. It's happening better than it was back in 2001. And I'm thankful for that. So there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that you might not be familiar with. But if they've ministered to you, right, in your place, in your home, doing something for you, you're like, man, these guys, they really love the Lord and they really want to serve Him. So... As I see the deacons at Grace, they allow the elders to eld. They do. And that's no small thing. Because you know what? A lot of times people think about deacons, they think about light bulbs and air conditionings and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of it. And that part of it releases us as elders from having discussed those kinds of things. Because... I want there to be light bulbs, and I like the air conditioning, but part of me doesn't care at all, just as long as it happens. But without those men coming alongside the elders here at Grace, listen to me, we're not the same church. We're not. They're not the same meetings. So I am so thankful. You're going to see the men that come up and serve today Lord's Supper, they're all deacons here at Grace. And I did that intentionally. Because you need to see these men that serve. And you're going to know. You know who they are. A lot of you do. Can I show you something? I have two sermons today. <laughs> but they're both short. So that works out alright. I want you to take your Bibles and go to First Timothy chapter 3. We're concluding our series today on leadership in the body. By the way, let me say this while, while it's on my mind. You may be out there thinking, okay, elders, deacons, so what? What's what God wants, number one. But it may be what the Lord calls you to one day. You may be one of those men that becomes an elder. Or you may be one of those men that becomes a deacon. And you're sitting here right now and you're 16 years old. You're like, I'm never going to do that. You might. You know who's in charge? Not you. And the sooner you come to understand that, the better. That's just a separate issue. But it's connecting. Because I can tell you, when I was sitting in my church at Lake Charles Bible Church, when I was a teenager, I didn't envision any of the things that have happened in my life. But the Lord, He's an awesome God, isn't He? I'm thankful for the leadership here. Grace, one of the things that I was noticing in 1 Timothy 3 that ended up being like true because I couldn't find a lot of comments on it was verse 13 of chapter 3. And I wanted to talk about that for just a moment before we get to having the Lord's Supper together. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul talks about the qualification of elders and then he goes on to deacons. And with the deacons, he talks about character in verses 8 through 13, he talks about their theology. 
So he talks about their character. He talks about their theology. He talks about their family. In verse 12. Did you know verse 13 is included in there? Did you know that? Have you ever heard anyone talk about verse 13? I'm quite certain that my professors in school did. I just probably wasn't paying attention. But I was so moved by verse 13. Because after he gets to discussion concerning the character, theology, and family of a deacon, you have verse 13. And verse 13, if I was going to give it a heading, it's rewards for the deacons. But it's not just any deacon. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. For those who have served, that word there is minister, for those who have ministered well, in other words, they've deaconized well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. There are a couple of things here that we need to consider. First of all, deacons who serve well obtain a high standing. What in the world does that mean? Do you know if you look that word up in the Greek, it means a step or going up higher. So for those who've served well as deacons, they go up higher. They take a step up. Now, there's a couple of different interpretations with that particular statement. There are some that believe that when he talks about taking a step, that he's talking about, Paul is talking about advancing in office. In other words, they go from being a deacon to being potentially an elder. I don't personally believe in context you could prove that. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about either. But it does make sense, the second option, that for those who have served well as deacons, that they advance in influence. That's the idea, that they advance in influence among the people that they serve. I was like, that makes a whole lot of sense. Right? If you, how many of you know who the deacons are here at Grace? <laughs> but there's a few that know. You're going to see some of them here this morning. Well, that's one thing that Paul mentions. He says, a deacon who serves well obtains a higher, high standing. So it's either he advances in office or he advances in his influence. I believe contextually he's talking about advancing in influence. And I'll explain that in just a moment because I think we have examples in the Bible. Then notice he says, secondly, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing, and what does it say? Great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So from those who serve well, they obtain a greater influence. And from those who serve well, their confidence or their faith is more bold. And I believe here, here he's talking about their daily faith. That they have a great confidence in the faith. They have a boldness like they have not had before. That's what the word confidence there means. A boldness. And that boldness in their daily faith is not something that's just internalized and they just have that. But it's something that's demonstrated. 
that people see. See, that where in the world do you get that from? Well, first of all, the word confidence and then the word faith. But there is example in the Bible of two men that we know who I believe serve certainly as examples of what a deacon would be. And you can see this advancement in their influence and the confidence they had. And it's right in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 6. I think these two men are an illustration of these two rewards that Paul is talking about here in 1 Timothy 3. And might I say for those who are examining this, which you need to be, um, these are possible examples. I'm not going to nail my feet to the ground and say, well, these are exactly examples of this, but I think they're pretty good examples of men who advanced in influence and advanced in their confidence in the faith because of the things that they do. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 6, I want to read this because this will help you understand contextually what's going on. Look at verse 1. It says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. That's the problem. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. Now remember, by this time, there's several thousand people in the church. There's a problem logistically. And so it says, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So what does that imply? They're having to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's going to be a problem. We've got so many people. Well, verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we, we may put in charge of this task. So he gives them the qualifications even for what that would involve. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now look in verse 5. There are two men in this verse who I believe had more influence and their confidence in the faith was demonstrated in a fantastic manner. One is Stephen. You've heard of him. And one is Philip. You've heard of him. What's interesting is that as you advance in the chapter, you come to Stephen's defense in chapter 7. And Stephen defends his position before the council and before the religious leaders. And the high priest, look at chapter 7, verse 1, said, Are these things so? And they had falsely accused um, Stephen. And so Stephen is defending himself before the council. And he speaks about Abraham. And he speaks about Isaac. And he speaks about Jacob. And he speaks about Joseph. He does history. He does a history lesson. He speaks about Moses. He speaks about um, Joshua. He speaks about David. He speaks about Solomon. He goes through all of this history with these religious leaders. All the way up to verse 48. And notice what it says in verse 48. Right before this, he speaks about Solomon who had built a house for the Lord. 
Verse 48 says, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my people, or for, excuse me, for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? Now, it doesn't seem to me that Stephen in his argument in defending himself is the least bit shy. He seems to be very confident with the things that he speaks about the history of the Lord and his faithfulness and the faithful servants. To the point where when he speaks to these religious leaders, notice verse 51. He says, you gracious men. Is that what he says? No, he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. And ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. We don't need to forget that, by the way. The prophecy of the Lord Jesus and his coming in the Old Testament. It's, it's all before them. And Stephen says, They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Oh, my goodness. Stephen must have been from the north. He said, You who received the law... As ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Verse 54. Now when they heard this they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. You've had people mad at you. Right? But this, this is a brutal scene. They are enraged at his message. Because ultimately the rage is against the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, who was full of the Holy Spirit? Stephen was. He gazed intently into heaven. You talk about a picture of grace, man. Here it is. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which is a picture of victory. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? Does this guy seem bashful to you? I mean, the Bible says that they selected him out as one who would serve tables. A lot of theologians look at Acts 6 and go, okay, here's a picture of what deacons would do. But it sure seems to me that his influence was increasing and that he was confident in his faith. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, get him. Is that what he says? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sound familiar? And having said this, he fell asleep. Well, he may have been chosen out by the people to serve tables. But it sure seems to me 
like his influence grew greater and his confidence stronger in the faith. To the point, listen to me, to the point that he's standing up in front of the religious leaders and saying, hey! And he speaks to them. And they have a disdain for what he says and they stone him. So, maybe an example of what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 3. But then there's another one. It's named Philip. He's in that list too. Notice chapter 8 verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions. Now look at this. Great persecution. It says they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So, Philip picked up his tent and went home. Is that what he did? Not what he did. Look what it says. Remember that the persecutions were scattering throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And we come to chapter 4, verse 1. Philip, being fully aware of this, says, I'm going home. I'm going to shut myself in my house. I'm going to watch TV, and I'm going to eat. Is that what he does? It's not what he does. It says, verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began doing what? What does it say? He began proclaiming Christ. This guy's a nut job. Doesn't he know what's going on? I thought he was just the dude that was going to, you know, set all this straight, these tables straight back in chapter 6. Hmm. I think another great example of a man whose influence was more and whose confidence was greater. And notice this, his confidence wasn't in himself because his message was about who? It was about Christ. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. This is that same one later on in that chapter, and you can go through and read the middle section for yourself when you get home. But notice verse 25. It says, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. They were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay? But an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went. That's a really... One, two, three, four, five, six words. That's a really, that'll preach in and of itself. You know what those six words equate to? One word, obedience. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And then the spirit said to Philip. Go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And said do you understand what you're reading? He said well how could I unless someone guides me. 
And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said... Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture. He preached who? Jesus to him. By the way, we could stop there and say, you know what the world needs in 2022? They need people to preach Jesus to them. Yeah, we live in a different culture, but the message hadn't changed. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, (laughs) what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but did what? Went on rejoicing. You know, guys, these are no small matters. We know what's before and after, don't we? We know that the church began in Acts chapter 2. We know the involvement of the apostles. We know post chapter uh, 8 what happens. There's Saul on the road to Damascus. Maybe we've forgotten a little bit about two men. Just regular dudes who God used with greater influence to challenge people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we think about rewards, oftentimes we think future. I think in some strange ways, Stephen and Philip got their reward. They got to see people come to Christ. They got to stand up for the cause of Christ. So when I read 1 Timothy 3, and I look at verse 13, I'm not going to skip it. There are a lot of theologians. I went through and looked. They just kind of skip it. We can't skip it. It's there for our teaching and there for purposes. You know what? As I look at the deacons here at Grace... Their influence is growing. You know why it's growing? Because they're serving faithful as deacons. And God's given them an audience, and I thank the Lord so much for that. So I want to encourage you guys in that, especially encourage the deacons um, in terms of being faithful to what the Lord's called you to do. All right, now on to our second sermon. Um, We're about to have the Lord's Supper. It is true when we come to a time like this that the language is a lot the same every time, isn't it? And what happens when you hear the same language over and over again? Well, maybe we're, we're not listening as well as we need to listen. Maybe we need to pay a little more attention to what Paul says about our Lives and in examining our lives. Um, I want to ask you this question. 
Or are we listening to the Spirit of the Lord as we examine our own lives? Because if there's one thing that I know in looking at you, and one thing you know in looking at me, we are not perfect people. We sin. It's important that we examine our own lives. It's important that we pay attention. Franklin Roosevelt got tired of smiling, that big smile, every time he appeared before the media and especially the heads of state. And one day he wanted to find out if anyone was listening or examining his words. As each person came up to him, he flashed the big smile and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. People would automatically respond with comments, comments such as, How lovely! Or just continue with your great work, Mr. President. Nobody listened to what he was saying with the exception of one foreign diplomat. When the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat responded, I'm sure she had it coming to her. <laughs> you look at that and you go, well, you know, those, those guys, I mean, they're saying the same things all the time. All the time. And people are responding the same way all the time. And I'm like, this morning, I don't know why, but this morning as I was coming, I was like, Lord just impressed on me. Dad, when we have times like this, it can maybe, and I hope you hear this right, it can just kind of be a routine. Something we do. Oh, we had the Lord's Supper today. But it needs to be truly a time of where we're listening to the Lord and examining what He's saying to us about our own lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to just read this to you before we begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 you understand the background of this text, I'm sure, because we've talked about it. But just as a reminder, the Apostle Paul is talking to this church at Corinth um, about remembering the Lord's death. But he begins in verse 17 about talking about their selfishness and their drunkenness at the agape feast. And the agape feast was a time, listen, where the believers came together and demonstrated that love toward one another. There's just one big problem. When the Corinthians came together, they weren't demonstrating agape love. They were getting drunk and they weren't sharing with one another. They were making a mockery of what the Lord had put together. And so Paul chastises them and he talks to them about examining their own lives look at what it says in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11 but a man must examine himself do you know that that word there is a command not a suggestion so one of the things we need to take away from this is that what Paul is telling these Corinthian believers is not a suggestion but a command. So when we come to the table this morning, the Lord is not requesting of us that we examine ourselves. He's demanding. 
that we examine ourselves. That, that probably sounds harsh in our culture, right? Nobody likes the word demand. But the Lord's demanding that of us, that we should examine ourselves. And you know what else is interesting about that word examine? Is that it's not only an imperative, but it's present tense. It means that we should continually examine ourselves. Oh, hold on. I thought we were just doing that in here, Thad. And then when we get out, we're done. No, no. Doesn't work that way. Imagine what it must have been like for these Corinthian listeners, right? Oh, my goodness. Because they understood the language. And they understood what was going on. And for Paul to say, hey, look, you must do this, but you must do this over and over and over and over again. There's not a moment that goes by where you don't need to be examining. Now, that sounds different, doesn't it? Sounds different to me. Well, that word examine is an important word. And the word was used in that culture to refer to the testing of coins and metals to see if they were genuine, were they authentic. And Paul's not talking about a casual glance at our lives. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm not as bad as Teresa, Lord. She's got issues. I'm pretty good. Or looking over here, well, you know, I mean, come on, Lord. I mean, it's Bill White. I'm not, I'm not as bad as Bill. I've got things, but he's got lots of things. It's, a, it's not a casual glance at anyone else's life. It is a thorough examination of my life. Ugh, that's tough, isn't it? I'll tell you why it's tough. Because when we examine ourselves... We have to look at our actions. What are we doing? What are we doing? Does it matter what we do? Say, that that's a hard question. It sure is. I have to ask myself that. I had to ask myself that as I'm typing this out. What are we doing? Our actions. So we need to think in terms of our actions being pleasing to the Lord. What about our thoughts? So this is how that practically works out. You say, yeah, my actions are seen, but like, you know, my thoughts, hey, you know, I mean, who's, who, who knows all that stuff, right? I mean, who knows my thoughts? Well, Thursday night, or Thursday night, Wednesday night, I'm teaching the kids. I'm going through prophecy, Old Testament, New Testament, kind of talking about the, the prophecies of Jesus. We got to a point in time where we were talking about the Lord and in, in, in his, his um, omniscience. And do you know the Lord knows everything about us? I told those students that we're, he knows our thoughts and he knows our intentions. I didn't tell them this part. But we're opened up. Maybe I did tell them this part. We're, we're kind of like a fish. We're filleted. He sees everything in us. How do you know that? Well, the Bible tells us. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, well, the actions, all right, but the thoughts, oh, tough. But that's what the Word here implies. As we examine, we're examining our actions, our thoughts, and thirdly, our motives.
you know what? I can tell you this. And I'm not being Eeyore. I'm just telling you the truth. When I examine my actions and my thoughts, that's one thing. But when I'm examining my motives, I'm just being honest in front of you. I've had a lot of failure in that. A lot of failure in that. Thankful for for forgiveness. We don't want to forget that. See, no one dislikes the forgiveness piece. We all love that forgiveness piece. But I don't know about this examination piece. And so maybe, just maybe, we ought to think a little bit more about not what does an elder want or what does a deacon want or what does my neighbor want, what does the Lord want. That's the issue. And I don't know about you, when I'm taking a hard look at that, it's like, when you go to the doctor and he does an exam, what are you looking for? A thorough examination. Now, some of those exams aren't fun, are they? But you're looking for the doctor to be thorough. Lord, help me to be thorough in my examination before you. And I have the deacons come up. If your roast was going to be ready at noon, I apologize. The deacons will come up and... Aren't these great guys? Huh? Great guys. I thank the Lord so, so much for them. I want to let you know before we have the Lord's Supper together that if you're not a member of Grace, um, that's okay. As long as you're a member of the body of Christ, that's what matters this morning. And the other requirement is for all of us that we would examine ourselves before we partake of the bread and drink of the juice. And so I just want to encourage all of us, maybe for the next minute or two, just to have a time of silence before the Lord. And um, what better time to confess than now? And um, so we're glad, aren't we, that he forgives us and he cleanses us continually. So let's go before him and then we'll partake together. I'm going to have Barry Hearn pray for the bread for us this morning. Barry, you do it. Father, we do just come to you now, Lord, with broken hearts. Lord, for what you've done for us, even though we didn't deserve it. Father, we just pray we live our lives for you and share that message with everyone we come in contact. 
and just thank you for the bread which represents your body and your sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says when the Lord Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, uh, and the cross was ahead of him. So as we uh, take this bread today, we remember the body of our Lord. Father, we, we thank you for the blood of Christ, our Savior. We thank you for his willingness to suffer spiritual death 
to be separated from you for those three hours on the cross in order to pay our penalty, in order to satisfy your justice. We cannot begin to imagine what that was like for him or for you, but we know from your word that our penalty was paid in full when he declared it is finished. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In his holy, wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen. Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins and um, I just had a thought that you know I've seen my blood a few times um, but I just can't I don't know how to express how thankful I am that the Lord Jesus was willing to shed his blood lots of it for me and for you so 
as we take the cup this morning, we remember the blood of our Lord. You know what we won't have to worry about in heaven? Clocks. We um, are thankful for the New to Grace class that we have and people have been coming to it and I did want to make an announcement about it. We will move the New to Grace class which was going to be October 16th to October 30th. And I know some are wanting to participate so I just wanted to let you know that will be moved from October 16th to October the 30th. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had, a few months ago, we had a New to Grace class and uh, several participants. One of those was David and Beverly Elam. And uh, David and Beverly uh, gave me their membership covenant this morning and signing that. And so I'm going to ask David and Beverly to come forward and stand up here uh, with me. You can come now. This is David and Beverly Elam. All right. And there, there's some nice folks out there. So, all right. And um, it, it is a pleasure to have new family with us. Anytime we're able to, to announce new family, and that's what we are. We're a family. And uh, one day we're all going to be in the presence of the Lord and as one big family. And uh, reunited uh, with those that have gone before us and forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And so this morning, uh, David and Beverly, we just want to welcome you to grace. We're very, very thankful that the Lord has led you guys to us. And so as I close, after I close in prayer, if you would please come up and welcome him, that would be great. Pray for David. He's continuing to recover. He had open heart surgery not too long ago, but he looks really good. I mean, like, I was comparing. You're not supposed to do that a whole lot, but I was comparing. I was like, I look like a really old man after I got done. And look at this guy. He looks great. So uh, we're thankful for how the Lord protected uh, David uh, during that time. And we continue to pray for those folks in our church. As you know, there are many that are hurting physically, and, and we continue to pray for them. And so why don't we uh, close in prayer, and you guys come up and, and welcome David and Beverly. All right, let's pray together. Father, it's just so good that we have been together this morning with the opportunity to worship the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for this special time that we've had, and I pray that as we leave here today, we'll think about the rewards of deacons who serve well, that they can actually, I believe, participate in those rewards here by your grace and so we're thankful for the deacons that serve us well here at Grace, and we pray for their continued ministry. Um, Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to remember this morning um, the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and we'd be remiss to say, yeah, we remember the death and we remember all that was accomplished, but we are so thankful we serve a living Savior. And so as uh, we have opportunity to serve you more as you give us time here on earth, I pray that we'd be faithful in that service to you. 
And Father, I want to thank you uh, for David and Beverly Elam. And I thank you, Lord, for their lives, their testimony. And I pray that um, as they uh, join us here at Grace as part of our family, that they would feel welcomed and that we would make them feel welcome and that they would serve right alongside of us as we anticipate your coming. And so we just ask, Lord, that we would honor you today uh, in our actions and our thoughts and our motives, that you may be given all the praise and all the glory. And it's in the name of Christ I pray all these things. Amen. You are dismissed.